From a recruiting perspective, we're looking at technology, including generative AI and other ways to help filter, narrow down, job match, and so on. Certainly, we want to be at the forefront of embracing new technology rather than running away from it. Welcome to the Fractional Edge podcast, the ultimate podcast where we unlock the power of workforce planning and discuss the rapidly growing fractional executive staffing strategies to supercharge your business. Meet your hosts, Carol Fraser, a workforce planning expert, fractional chief human resources officer, and founder of C4 Talent. And Jason Hewitt, the sensei of marketing, fractional chief marketing officer, and founder of Fifth Degree Marketing. We'll bring you insights from seasoned pros, inspiring success stories, and actionable strategies to optimize your valued workforce. Don't miss this chance to upgrade your business with top industry leaders in today's competitive landscape. So tune in and learn how to unleash your competitive edge. Welcome, everyone, to the Fractional Edge podcast. I am your co-host, Jason Hewitt. I'm a CMO, and I'm here with my co-host, Carol Fraser, who is a CHRO. We're really excited today because we have the CEO of Better Engineer, Boris Portman, with us today. Boris, how are you? I'm fantastic, Jason. Pleasure to be here with you. Good. This is uh, it's an interesting episode because uh, Boris, uh, I won't wreck the surprise, but he runs a company that is deeply embedded in a talent. That's pretty much what they do. So, Boris, can you give us a little bit of background in terms of Better Engineer, um, you know, who you serve and uh, what your company does? Yeah, thank you. Um, the company is called Better Engineer. Uh, we actually recently uh, rebranded uh, for the name Better Engineer, and we are in the business of helping growing software companies in the United States find better engineers. So uh, we're a staffing company. We specifically look for engineers uh, in Latin America, although we do have a global talent pool of over 20,000 vetted engineers. So this is interesting because I feel like Boris, I've known Boris for a little over a year now, and I feel like he was early to the party. Um, he, he's been doing this for a while, but um, Boris, I have, to, I have to ask you this because I think it's a cool story. Can you just... Give us a quick story about Salsa Moby. That was the original brand um, and how that turned into Better Engineer. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, um, so my background is uh, originally as a software engineer and, uh, and I was a VP of engineering, CTO, uh, different companies. And um, uh, when I was studying software engineering at Carnegie Mellon, I, uh, I wanted the social outlet. And, and so I got into salsa dancing and, uh, and so that, that is the name. And, uh, and so even though I'm originally from Ukraine, um, I was this Ukrainian dancing salsa, uh, and I wound up getting pretty good at it. And I wound up uh, doing this, uh, almost semi-professionally teaching others and performing. And so, uh, so the name salsa Moby came from that in 2007, uh, the iPhone, uh, was coming out, smartphones were coming out and becoming more mainstream. So Dot Moby was at that point a big buzz. And so I wanted to make my name a little more techie. So Salsa Moby it was. So Carol, uh, got to have Carol jump in here. because I know. <laughs> <laughs> so again, my passion, swing dancing. So just like you, I spend my evenings and weekends and I travel and I teach and I wow. perform. And so when you said that, I was like, oh my God, I executive by day and <laughs> by night. You're Very saying good. exactly what I'm I doing. I love it. 
I love it. I love it. Yes, I, I enjoy swing dancing as well. So, yes. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's good. And, and Boris, what um, what prompted the uh, the brand change, the, the name change from Salsa Moby well, to Better? After getting enough solicitations by uh, cold calls on um, selling me tomatoes and uh, other types of <laughs> uh, uh, farmers calling me, uh, I realized that our name was not very descriptive of what we do. And so wanted wanted to do something that's a little bit more focused on um, uh, on our core competency of uh, finding better engineers. And it's a, a fairly competitive space, right? Mm-hmm. And what separates Better Engineer from some of the other uh, firms out there? As the name implies, uh, we believe that um, the talent that we deal with are engineers. And and so many companies will do staffing and outsourcing of different uh, different competencies and sometimes uh, uh, finance roles and other, uh, other types of functions. And then even within software, uh, the word engineer to me is near and dear. Uh, because it means uh, that uh, the the talent has uh, a framework and a discipline for accomplishing a goal, for delivering the software, um, and, and there's a process and methodology around that. Um, and uh, as opposed to coder or programmer or other words that uh, uh, that we hear sometimes, so we believe that we vet for that, and uh, and uh, the word better. Is uh, is something that uh, I learned a long time ago it, it, in marketing. At least uh, uh, th- there's a, an opinion out there that you want to use uh, relative instead of superlative, because you can always be better. But once you're best, somebody can be better. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and so with that, uh, there's a lot of play on words, and certainly uh, a lot of the culture that we instill in the talent that we have and the companies we like to work with is uh, the notion of continuous improvement. So uh, regardless of, of where anybody is right now, uh, we believe the, the better talent uh, and the better human beings are the ones that, cons- that continuously want to improve themselves. Nice. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that you, you hear that a lot in, in the engineering field, you know, uh, mention of people. And uh, I want to jump to Carol because she, she's all about talent. So. Over to yeah. You. So Boris, I mean, when you're out there looking, it, it sounds like you are really a strategic partner for a lot of these small to medium sized businesses and bringing um, kind of like the next level expertise in their technology components. So when you're thinking of the fractional world and kind of how bringing on maybe a fractional engineer really supports kind of their next level of growth or a a more strategic goal around technology. Tell me a little bit about kind of what that looks like and how you partner with organizations with fractional engineers. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that. So we really focus on full-time dedicated engineers for the most part. Uh, although the thought leadership where I can be helpful is fractional. So at the executive level, we, we are fractional. We support um, the growth and the development of, of the team and the organization the best we can. But um, uh, we, we promote uh, the notion of open-mindedness, of, uh, uh, of figuring out what is truly important for a company. So, it, it, so the mission, vision, the mission, vision values are really important. The, 
uh, what the KPIs for success for the product uh, delivery is important, how people work together is important. Um, so, um, so once, once a hiring manager really prioritizes what's important, sometimes there are logistical things that really aren't as important as maybe just myths um, in that on whether uh, a specific uh, person happens to be a W-2 or a contractor, whether the person is working at a 20-hour week or an 80-hour week. And, and, and it, um, those, those may imply other things, but they are not those other things. So whether a person truly has uh, passion for what they do, passion for the greater cause of the company, um, it, it can be found in, uh, in a variety of resource arrangements. So, um, so yeah, so we try to help, help and, uh, companies, uh, that, that understand that and, and offer scenarios of, of that. Uh, the other important thing and what we do related to, uh, this kind of agility of, of resources being able to ramp up and ramp down is, is also quite key. Uh, and kind of the time to hire is important and as well as the ability to ramp down logistically easily in doing that, um, is also important. And is there a type of specific industry that you kind of lean into? Is it, you know, I'm curious, like, I know I love working as a fractional CHRO for nonprofits, um, really trying to get our world and our earth into a different area in the future. Is there a different kind of a specific kind of industry that, you know, you kind of work best with? That's a great question. And, and, and certainly we want to, as you know, as we all grow and think about what's going on beyond ourselves and think about wanting to provide social good and impact globally, uh, we, we look for companies that have a similar mindset. We look for hiring managers that have a similar mindset. So, uh, and, and similarly, we look for engineers that also want to think for social impact, for greater impact beyond themselves. So more and more, we're, uh, we vet companies as well as engineers in how they communicate, how they think about uh, working as, you know, where the team is greater than the than the individuals themselves. And furthermore, the company is greater than the environment and the ecosystem, the world, humanity. So when people talk like that and, and can show uh, examples of their passions outside of work that way, that really strikes my passion in wanting to connect people. So more and more, we look for companies and people that are aligned on that. Uh, typically, we work with companies that also focus on software as their core competency. We like to work with companies and engineers that we have like to work with companies where they feel that they are part of the critical the critical competency uh, and the IP of the company itself, not just as a side, oh, we're just kind of the side support uh, type of thing. So, uh, so we do work with companies where software is our core. And uh, in that case, it could be either uh, software product companies where they're building software products and, and they're looking for great talent to help them build that um, or service companies where um, they're hired to actually build a core product for their client um, as well. And then we help those teams grow with the right talent. Nice. You know, it's interesting. Um, I had a about a two year period of my life where I got to work very closely with uh, two excellent software developers, and I think a lot of uh, founders and CEOs uh, come from the entrepreneurial side. And now, hey, we need to find the talent to source. I can say this: that if I knew what I know 
today about software engineering talent that there is so much value in working with a company that has a, a, a vetting process. Um, I think something that's really unique about Better Engineer is you hear Boris, you know, you talk about passion and today kind of the, the catchphrases are AI. Hey, we can use AI to kind of source talent. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> but can you talk to us a little bit about um, your process? How do you go about vetting these engineers? Um, what does the process look like without giving away too much? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jason. Uh, we uh, we have a whole team and, and, and um, kind of funnel uh, in doing that. It's both a science and an art. And, uh, and part of that, we believe the, the humans that do this with the aid of technology is, is, is a good mix. Um, so we have a team that uh, is out there actively sourcing uh, candidates. LinkedIn uh, is a very uh, large part of that. And, um, and so we use all sorts of resources around that LinkedIn ecosystem. Similarly, uh, some people may not be on LinkedIn. We look into uh, companies and so on. Very, uh, very much a lot of our sourcing is based on referrals or looking at people who know people, whether it's the ontology on LinkedIn um, or, uh, or looking at work. Uh, some of our best performers uh, may have worked in the past and looking at some of uh, kind of those patterns and those companies. So the top of the funnel is, is sourcing. And we're very actively sourcing people because we believe passive candidates uh, are statistically better than active candidates. So we we're very, very much uh, going out there and headhunting and looking for a great talent. And, um, and so with that, we have an initial intake process uh, where uh, we go through the background and, and we have great sourcers and recruiters that do this and look at body language and look at the way they communicate when we ask simple questions like, oh, why did you leave this job to join that job? And, and so kind of learn how people talk about themselves and the environment and whether they're finger pointing, whether they're, um, uh, there's, there's kind of a growth story behind it versus a uh, desperation story uh, about their career path. And, um, and so uh, we try to really assess their cultural um, uh, background as well. We use behavioral interviewing very heavy into that. I was fortunate enough uh, to roll out behavioral interviewing across Intel about 25 years ago and, um, and use that methodology heavily in how we look at talent and ask about their past experience. Um, and, and so with that, we also assess uh, what type of personality they may have because it's not a, a you know black and white type of thing where um, some individuals will perform like A players in certain environments and C players in other environments. So we, we try to do that matching as well. So it's not it's not just a yes or no whether a candidate passes. It's also what environment would a candidate work best in. So we, we try to understand that culturally and we do all of that even before we start the technical assessment because we believe the culture fit is um, is the most important. And, and uh, the, a lot of a lot of the technical things can be learned, but the personality things are a little harder to train. So, uh, so we first look at that, and then we go through a technical assessment. So we uh, we look at uh, pools of talent, and we think about whether a candidate um, is more of a front end engineer, back end engineer, data, and kind of where where they gravitate. Um, and, uh, and we have online assessments, uh, that we use. We use HackerRank and a few other tools, uh, for code challenges. And then we have a technical interview with one of our lead engineers, uh, that 
that we, we try to assess what level of thinking and problem solving the person has in going through that. So that's where, again, uh, AI is not quite there and, and the human aspect is key to really understand how a person thinks, not just the code that they produce when they're asked a question. Uh, we, uh, we typically look for people who uh, do a lot of clarification and asking on what the problem is before trying to provide a, a blind solution. Um, and so, um, uh, so writing maintainable code, uh, testable, and uh, for the code itself to be well documented is important. So how they actually think about the greater aspect of, of their solution is also important. So we go through all these steps um, in order to vet the engineers. And this is just the first step. This is just to get them going um, into our talent pool. And then when a company is looking for a person, we have this huge network of highly vetted engineers that are currently still working at other companies. Um, uh, for the most part, and we we reach out to those to try to find the right fit. So that's how we're also able to achieve time to hire metrics that are far better than industry averages. I'm curious, you know, one of the things that uh, Jason kind of brought up is the AI side of it. And there's a lot of chit chat that, you know, some of this coding stuff and what have you can now be supplemented or call it, you know, initially launched through AI. How has that impacted your business? You know, I believe we're at the early stage of understanding this right now. And certainly at the beginning of this year, there, there was a big uh, shock of uh, ChatGPT and, and the potential impact on software engineering um, in doing that in software development. And, and there was, uh, there's a lot of initial prediction of, uh, how jobs are going away and, you know, especially for what we do. So <clears throat> from a recruiting perspective, we're looking at technology, including generative AI and, uh, and other ways to help uh, filter, narrow down job match and so on. Certainly we want to be at the forefront of embracing new technology rather than running away from it. Uh, so we are, we are doing our best to do that, but certainly we believe that the experience that we have on the human side is still critical um, in in assessing talent for the things I just talked about and how uh, how the body language is and so on. And at some point, AI will catch up to all of that as well on the recruiting side. Um, and the reality is, yeah, AI at some point, maybe decades away, maybe less, will replace all of us. That's that's my belief as well. Uh, but I think we will evolve, and there will be other jobs. Uh, that that will still become quite relevant and necessary. So uh, I think that's uh, that's been seen through various revolutions in the past, industrial revolution, various other revolutions where where people feared uh, jobs, and then ultimately we just evolved to other uh, other opportunities. Um, in terms of actual talent and software engineering as a practice on its own, and how much ChatGPT and generative AI can be part of effectively the production of code, uh, that's a hot topic on its own. And certainly there's a lot of uh, question about the validity of the IP um, and and, I, and uh, IP protection laws, copyright laws, and other things when you're using effectively open sourced information out there. At the same time, developers have already been doing that with Stack Overflow and, and, and other forums where they're just manually asking and searching for the same thing. ChatGPT just allows, allows Similar practice to be done at scale. Um, I 
I firmly believe and embrace uh, generative AI and other technologies is as a reality. And so we're, we're fine if somebody uses ChatGPT um, as long as uh, they're transparent about it and what the sources are for, for producing certain code. Um, I believe uh, the, the people who, who will produce the best uh, are the ones that are the most resourceful. And that's true in, in any field uh, worldwide. So as long as they're transparent about it and we, we look for honesty and transparency, um, then we're embracing it and, and hopefully can enable great talent and companies to succeed. Yeah, I remember, of course, back in the day, you know, when they came up with Google, everybody thought they were going to lose their job. So <laughs> and that, of course, created an onslaught of, of new jobs out there. And, uh, you know, it, I see I think we all see benefits of AI. Um, I, I remember listening to one person who was you know, a writer and he said, I don't have that blank page par you know, paralysis. Um, now I can be like, could you come up with this idea? And then it just moves a whole lot faster. So yeah, I, I think that uh, you're right. AI is going to shift kind of how we work. Um, and I think that when I think uh, about our listenership, who is really trying to figure out the right talent to hire, many times they get caught up in this AI thing, like, well, I don't need that. And, you know, coming with background at, you know, advertising and marketing companies, I'm sure, Jason, you probably know this. It's it's great if, you know, your intern or your junior copywriter or your, you know, entry-level graphic designer, but eventually you need someone with extensive skills and somebody who can really bring a vision to life. And even on the technology side, it's, yeah, you, you could get it so far, but then you're going to need that human brain to manipulate it even more to hit those types of goals. So um, I just, I, it, having an engineer here on our podcast, I'm like, I'm asking about AI. Because <laughs> I think it needs to be asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think you raise a key point. And, uh, and so it's a level, it's a level of thought. It, you know, I, what interested me about Carnegie Mellon, I, I'm Ukrainian and, and by being Ukrainian, I'm a chess player, maybe <laughs> uh, Eastern, maybe. But uh, I was very interested in, um, in uh, chess computing. Uh, and that was one of the main reasons I went to Carnegie Mellon actually in the first place. Uh, and back then in the early nineties, that's when, uh, deep blue and, um, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, AI computing, uh, was, uh, was really focused there and chess was a big thing. So, um, I remember writing chess programs in high school and I was just passionate about this. And I, and, and, uh, and one thing back then, uh, was, uh, was thinking about, well, uh, AI out can algorithmically beat a um, any human. So because, you know, when you think about what they call plies, I do this, you do this, I do this, you do that, and kind of think about there are more combinations on the chessboard than are atoms in the universe. And and so a, a computer with enough horsepower can outthink in that way uh, any human. Now, uh, there are different ways to approach a problem. And then so in chess, you think about tactical uh, approach, which is kind of that. There's also then strategic. Well, strategic is a little bit different. Strategic is more about pattern recognition. And so patterns um, are, uh, are then thought of. So it's not about I do this, you do that. It's more about I want to 
get into this type of pattern, this type of position. I want to control the center. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so you kind of learn how uh, how to think in terms of patterns. And at that point, computers weren't as good as that. And that's when Gary Kasparov realized, I'm going to beat the computer, not not by the tactical thinking, but to be able to think more strategically um, and think about kind of the higher level concepts, even if the position may not be exact, uh, it, it'll still be a winning position because I'll have these patterns. And so, as you know, with CAPTCHA and so on, you have pattern recognition now that Google's trying to use the world to open source and so on. So now you got... Uh, uh, sort of strategic thinking and pattern thinking is sort of a higher level. But similarly, um, uh, kind of the notion of AI and the evolution of AI in the future, you think about uh, how AI can actually s- start creating ideas on its own rather than just, just looking at data sets. And, um, and, and so all of that is potentially inevitable. Uh, but for now, uh, definitely believe that uh, there's a level of human understanding empathy, um, the, a level of understanding the, the true interest of the customer when you think about solving a problem, writing a piece of software. Those are things that uh, that humans for now, I believe, are necessary. And with the, with the advantage of using AI code generation, whatever it is, to go out and be resourceful, to get those little pieces to inspire them. Now it's much easier and faster to be able to look at different scenarios and to work with the end customer, with the market, and look at A-B analysis and look at uh, other things. Think about what will really solve your problem. Typically, the the best engineers, the best analysts, the best uh, salespeople, the best marketers are the ones that go beyond the literal question that is being asked and try to really understand what is the intent, what is the goal here, and try to have a common language on that. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for tuning in to The Fractional Edge. We hope you enjoyed our insightful discussions and feel inspired to unleash your competitive edge. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to stay updated with the latest episodes. You can also connect with our podcast guests to benefit from their expertise and explore collaboration opportunities by visiting our website, thefractionaledge.com. Join us next time as we continue to explore the power of workforce planning and fractional executives in today's competitive business landscape. Until then, take care and keep growing.